If you will stand as you're able, and we will affirm our trust in God's word, and then I'll read our passage for today. So let's read together. All flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And here's our our text for today, and I'm actually going to start a couple verses earlier. Um, John 1, 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me start out today by by explaining a little bit about our summer series. Uh, Often here at Chatham, we take a book or a part of a book, uh, a story, and we work our way through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, seeing what God has to say to us that way. Other times, and, and maybe more typically during the summer when people are in and out, we do a more topical series. I mean, when I say topical, I, I don't just mean like I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about today. Instead, I mean we're going to ask the question, what does Scripture have to say about blank? What does God have to say about blank? And then we explore that uh, because here at Chatham, as we just affirmed, our authority is not in uh, the person who is up here. It's not in our own ideas or mindset, but our authority is from Scripture itself. So this summer series, um, we'll be doing a topical series on the pictures of the church. Um, And it'll be a little bit different this summer because as we talked about this summer, uh, Pastor Sergey and his family will be on sabbatical. So we will get the benefit, and I really am excited. I'm excited about a lot of things for this summer. Um, I'm excited about the Marchenkos getting a much-needed rest and to be able to hear from God in a unique and special way. Um, I'm excited for our body here to get to hear from other godly men and for the word of the Lord to be preached and and get the flavor of different people. Um, I'm excited for, for me to be stretched this summer as I step into a little bit of a different role. A little bit right now, but more so at the end of the summer when I preach a series. Um, so I also want to, I want to introduce to you, we've done so on Realm, and you've probably all met them, but in case you haven't, I want to introduce to you the men who are going to be preaching this summer. So when I didn't tell this, I'm going to ask them to stand when I talk about it too. Um, so first and newest is Dan Kernut. Uh, so Dan, if you'll stand. Dan is a retired pastor uh, who has just recently joined here, so he's had, he's had many years of preaching experience, and uh, many of you are enjoying his Sunday school right now through the book of Acts. So we're looking forward to Dan preaching. Um, the next uh, is Dave Greiner. So Dave, uh, again, another retired pastor, this time a retired pastor of here, so Dave served faithfully here for many years, preaching many years. He was my pastor growing up. I'm really excited for him to preach a little more regularly this summer. Um, So he's a former pastor here and a current elder. Uh, So I'm really excited about that. Um, And then last but certainly not least, uh, Emmanuel Forbes, who just graduated from seminary a couple of weeks ago. 
um, and has regularly preached at his previous church, um, and then also will be expecting his first child um, soon. So <laughs> I'm very excited to get to hear from, from different men. I'm excited for what the Lord has to do uh, for us and will do for us, and I'm excited what the Lord will do for me. So um, as you guys pray for the Marchenkos when they're on sabbatical, and, and please do, also pray for us as well as we preach, as we um, hear from God and then deliver to you what he has revealed in his word and revealed to us. So today I want to dive into our text, and my outline is simple. So our, our topic is family. So as we look at pictures of the church and how God portrays his people, we'll, we'll look at several different topics. We'll, today we'll look at family, we'll look at um, the church as the body, the church as the bride, the church as the temple, um, and other, other illustrations that God uses, other portraits that God gives us. This morning we're going to be looking at the church as a family. And my, my outline is really pretty simple. Uh, it's first, how do we come, become a part of the family of God? and the importance of the family of God? And then, what are some implications of being a part of the family of God? So how do we become a part of the family of God, and then what are different implications? Now, this is by no means an exhaustive topic. The family of God is a really big topic within Scripture. Um, but by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will work through His Word in His people. And so as I said, family is a huge topic in Scripture, but family is also a huge topic in the world. It's a really important thing. Uh, instinctively, we all know this. Uh, many, many stories, many movies are written and, and made that explore the beauty of family, the pain of broken family, uh, the loss of not having family. It's, it's something that we, we all deal with, and instinctively we know the importance of it because we are born into family. Family is the first thing that we know. We all have a mother and father. That's just how life works. And, and in fact, when we're not born into a family, when we're born and something goes wrong, we all rightly look at that as tragedy. When someone doesn't have the family that uh, they are, are meant to, it is, it is a tragedy. We know the pain of broken family. And even that, even, even in the negative, what it does is it points to what something should be. When we see the, the loss of family and the brokenness of family, we know that that's not right. We know that family should be something different. And so with all the stories that there are about family, the first illustration, the first quote that I'm going to give you might be a little surprising. Um, we'll hopefully get better throughout the sermon. But uh, the first one is from a character, Dom Toretto, from The Fast and the Furious wildly popular series that they make the same movie over and over. And it gets more and more ridiculous. Um, yet, uh, Dom also knows, and, and if, if you're on the internet, um, you've probably seen these memes floating around, but there's lots of memes about family that Dom, played by Vin Diesel, has. But he has a, he has a quote, he says, the most important thing in life will always be family. And so he talks about family uh, over and over, and um, you may be wondering now, what's the summer going to be like if the first quote we use is from The Fast and the Furious? <laughs> My hope is that we get, we get better, I'll hit different groups throughout the sermon, and then we'll see where the summer takes us. But the point is this, family is important. Um, and even Dom and even The Fast and the Furious know that. 
Our culture knows that. Uh, we know that more so because Scripture explores and talks about family all the time. From the very beginning, there has been family. Adam and Eve were married and had children. Family. Yet, throughout all of Scripture, family is a mixed bag as well. After Adam and Eve are married and have children, the first recorded story, the first two children, kill each other. Cain kills Abel, right? So from the very beginning, we see the importance of family, we see the beauty of family, and we see the pain that broken family has. We go on and we're introduced to Abram, who God calls a particular person in a particular family, and he says, I will make you into a great family, into a great nation, and through you I will bless all the families of the earth. And then God um, grows his family, and then as we've, we've been talking um, in our, our, my Sunday school with the youth, we, we get to Jacob and his family, and we just see really dysfunction, dysfunctional family there, right? We see Jacob with multiple wives, and then not wives, and then we see favoritism, and then we see uh, children who are hurting each other and selling their brother into slavery. We see the dysfunction of family as well throughout all of Scripture. Yet, we see that God uh, redeems family. Over and over in Scripture, God is referred to as Father. And anytime we bring up family and anytime we bring up father, um, I know that it brings different ideas of what that should be. We've all had different experiences of family. We've all had different experiences as father. So whatever your experience with, God, with fathers has been, um, stick with me. Don't let that shut you down right away. And instead, let's look at who God is as our Father and what it means to be a part of his family. So many times, um, God is referred to as Father. Many times, Jesus refers to God as his Father. Um, And then many times, God is referred to as our Father. In fact, the most famous prayer that there is starts off with our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. So this idea of family and being a part of the family of God Um, is incredibly important. So as important as it is, we need to ask the question that our our text implicitly asks and then answers is, who exactly is a part of the family of God? Who gets to be in the family of God? Who's a child of God? Is this a universal right? Aren't we all just children of God? After all, God created everyone, so shouldn't we all call him Father? Father? Is everyone a part of the family of God? And our text in the verses right before, in verse 10 and 11, um, it, it begins to answer this. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. God's people, his creation, ignores God. At best is unaware of his activity and his love. At worst, and and more honestly, we rebel against his rightful rule and his goodness. We ignore God and pretend that, that we are God and pretend that he is not here. Because people rebel against him, we are his creation. Everyone is God's creation. 
God creates everyone and he creates everyone in his image. Yet, not everyone is called a child of God. Instead, Scripture tells us that without Jesus, we are children of wrath. We are already condemned. But there is good news. In our text here, there's the word, but. And often God does this. He paints a painfully accurate picture of our reality of where we are without Christ. Christ comes into the world and we reject him. We do not receive him. We do not pay any attention to him. The very creator of life, the best thing that can can happen to us comes into our world and we ignore him. We are children of wrath. But after that, God, he takes the picture and he turns it upside down and he reveals a masterpiece of grace. And here we see in verse 12 and 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who trust in Jesus, those who are a part, those are his children. That's who is a part of the family of God. And and what's cool about this is this last verse, right? It's not not our decision. It's not our will that does this. We're not born of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man. But we are born of God. We are born again as new creations, as new creatures, as his children. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the children's group Slugs and Bugs. Uh, If you're not, you should be, even as an adult. I think adults should listen to children's music and read children's books. Uh, They're fantastic. But in our house, Slugs and Bugs is a big hit. Um, They've been around for a lot, and they're still producing good music. They sing many silly songs, and they're just fun, and they're just silly. Uh, And then they sing many songs that are deep. They're fun and they're upbeat and they're child-appropriate, but they make you think. And one of the ones that's been playing a lot in our house, um, not in any particular reason, we just, uh, our kids just speak into the air and music comes out. Um, And this is is one of the songs that, that comes out. So one of my favorite, it starts like this. I was born into a story full of twists and turns, even the scary kind, and that's the truth. Yeah, that was my beginning, But just turn the page and there you'll find in chapter 2 how love had a plan for me and a great big family. I'm adopted. And then it has this great chorus. I see see my wife singing. I sing it along. I'm adopted. I'm adopted. Right? Like it goes over and over. And it's this song that is praising God for adoption. And it's a dual song because the artist is speaking about the adoption in his own family and bringing in his, his own son. And then also speaking of the the beautiful grace that God adopts us into his family. And the song, it carefully approaches the difficult subject of adoption. It displays the beauty of God's grace, as well as, um, in an age-appropriate way, showing the, the harsh reality of the need for adoption. Right? Adoption uh, is, is a good thing that comes from bad circumstances. As our text says today, uh, we become children of God 
through adoption. And adoption is something to celebrate. It is something to rejoice in. Uh, It may start with a sad reality of the need for adoption, but we rejoice. And as our call to worship started this morning, the Apostle Paul just burst forth in song and in praise of God for all the amazing things he has done and how he has blessed us, including adopting us as children. Through Jesus, we get the thing that all of us instinctively long for. We get family. But as many of you know, um, adoption doesn't come cheap. There's a great price to be paid. Jesus pays that price with his death. And he seals that purchase with his resurrection. We are bought with the blood of Jesus. And are forever a part of his family. That is, if you believe in Jesus... If you acknowledge your sin, your rebellion against God, if you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, our text says, to all who receive him and believe in him, we have the right to become children of God. See, Scripture is always dividing the world into two categories. We see that in our text this morning. You are either with Jesus or you are against Jesus. You are either in his family, a child of God, or you are not. There's no middle ground. There's no partial family. There's no half adoption. And that, that might sound sobering, but I think it's incredibly comforting. That means that God will never disown you. God will never kick you out of his house. He may lovingly discipline you. But you are his child. You are his kid. This is great news. um, So even even as as the Bible divides the world into two categories, and even as we see the two categories here, those that reject God and those that become his children, uh, the good news is that God wants you to be a part of his family. He wants to adopt you. And, and this is great because he doesn't want to adopt you based on who you are. He wants to adopt you based on who he is. In adoption, one of the hard realities, and there's many hard realities in adoption, as, as some of you know uh, firsthand, but one of the hard realities in adoption or, or being adopted is that the older that you get, the less likely it is for someone to be adopted. I mean, this is for for many reasons, or um, also if you come from a particularly hard place or background, or if you have significant disabilities, it's harder to be adopted. God doesn't work like that. He adopts you based on who he is. He doesn't look at you and say, this one comes from a drug family. I don't have that kind of patience. I don't have that kind of resources. It's too hard. This one's been in trouble with the law and already too far gone. I don't want to deal with that. This one's too emotionally damaged. I can't handle it. God adopts because he is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. 
even when we are actively rebelling against him and hating him, he brings people into his family. God sees you in your suffering and says, come into my family. Let me take care of you. You are tired. You are weary. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You are emotionally damaged. Let me show you my consistent and steadfast love. Let me take care of you. You come from drugs or anger or violence. Let me run to you and throw a party because you are a part of my family. You've been in trouble with the law. Let me redeem you and adopt you. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says it like this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You were under the condemnation of the law. All of us were under the condemnation of the law. But Jesus redeems us and makes us children of God. The Father adopts us into his family. And there's no other way to get into the family. You can't sneak in. You can't just show up at the dinner table and just keep staying indefinitely. As our text says, um, the only way is that new birth... We are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's children are born of God. And here's where I I want to ask you to consider. Are you in God's family? Have you been adopted? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? If you haven't, join the family Trust in him. See that you are living in the Father's world. See that life is better in the family. See that your sin is rebellion against him. But see that he offers life. He offers joy. He offers family. I want you to experience God as your loving father who gave his only son to give you eternal life. And if you already are in the family, there are, here are some implications for us of how this reality of the church as a family affects us. Again, this won't be an exhaustive list of implications, but hopefully it will be enough to get us started. The first implication is this. Praise God that he has adopted you. Again, in Ephesians 1, in our call to worship, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on and he includes adoption. So praise God that you have been adopted. See him as a loving father. That's the first implication. I want a a full stop there. We worship God for for many, many reasons of who he is 
And one of those reasons is that he has adopted us and made his, us his own children. The second implication is this. You have a family. If God has adopted you, he has adopted you into his family. Not just as a father dealing with a child in particular, but he adopts us into an entire family. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Growing up, I used to wait for my houses. In reading this verse, God has promised me houses. Like many things, I misunderstood. Um, I understand much better. Um, I was also probably really confused about getting more brothers and sisters. Um, but, but God adopts us into a family, which means that, that we share everything. We are a family. Um, This has been true for me here at Chatham. This verse of getting more brothers and sisters and mothers and children in houses, this has been true for me here at Chatham. You are my brothers and sisters. You are my mothers, right? Many of you, some of you, I sometimes call mom or other mother. But you're all my brothers and sisters and children. And my children get to grow up here with more brothers and sisters. We get to raise, Beth and I get to raise our family here in this family. Our micro family in this larger family that is a micro family of any larger family. Right? It's, it's unending. God has blessed us with each other. God has given people to help us out. Again, this has been true of me. I have been helped out when I've needed it and asked for it. We have been helped out when we've needed it and not asked for it. We get to experience um, deep fellowship with you guys. We love you because you're family. And we feel the love that you have for us because we're your family. So it may be, um, there, are, there are many painful things about the reality of adoption or needing to be adopted. But this isn't one of them. This is a blessing. I long for you to experience a blessing of the family of God like I do. Like we get to here at Chatham. So the next implication, when you're adopted into God's family, you become like the family. You become like the Father. You become like Jesus. Uh, in Mark 3, Jesus is confronted by his biological family. They're embarrassed of him. They're confused by what he's doing. They want him to come home. Um, so this is verse 31 of chapter 3. And his, Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, 
Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says his family, the family of God, will do the will of the Father. Jesus says, my family will act like me. Or to say it a different way, uh, a maybe more pointed way, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we become part of God's family, we'll become more like him. God says, be holy, for I am holy. And then he does this this incredible thing called sanctification where he makes us holy. He justifies us, so he makes us holy before the Lord, and then he transforms our lives to be actually holy, to be functionally holy, to act like him. And this has incredible and lasting implications. But it at least means that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what our Father does. So we act like our Father because we are a part of his family. Our Father loves us and the world around us. So we do. Because this is what he does and this is what he's always done. At the end of the movie, The Blind Side, so now I think we've hit three different parts, right? We've got Fast and the Furious, Slugs and Bugs, and then the movie, The Blind Side. So at the end of the movie, The Blind Side, uh, Michael Orr, who goes on to be a, a star football player, is being interviewed and asked questions to see if there's ulterior motives. See, see Michael Orr was adopted Um, He was a a really big, strong kid who was adopted and then went on to become a football player, um, and a really good one. And so they're wondering, did this family adopt him so that he could become a pro football player? Did they adopt him so that they could um, beef up their favorite school's football team? So he's asking all these, being asked all these questions, and at the end of the interview, Michael says this. He says, All the questions you asked were about why everyone else wanted me to go to Ole Miss. Not once did you ask me why I want to go there. And the interviewer responds, she says, all right, fine. Michael, why do you want to go to Ole Miss? And the answer that he gives, it makes the already feel-good movie feel even better. And he gives a simple answer. He says, because that's where my family goes to school. That's where they've always gone to school. See, Michael understood something about family and being a part of the family. You do what your family does. You see their their norms, their loves, and you join in. You don't do it because there's pressure, um, because you have to give in, but you do it because you love your family. Michael was loved by his family, so he wanted to be like his family. Now, if you've been around any family for long enough, you know that family doesn't always love each other well. 
In fact, sometimes the biggest fights and the greatest damage are done by family. Unfortunately, this is also true in the family of God. Much of Scripture is devoted to teaching us how we should act towards each other, how we should treat each other, what the family of God is to be like. Well, why? Why does God spend so much time telling us what we should be like? Well, because we're not. We don't understand. We're new to the family. We haven't picked up all the family values yet. We don't understand all the family norms yet. We bring in all our previous dysfunction and our distorted priorities. We revert to our old ways. And so we can hurt people because of it. This is painfully true right now. That the church can hurt people. That the church can hurt its own and it can hurt uh, people who are outside. Among uh, much scandal in the, the broad church of America, there's abuse, cover-ups, What I want to make abundantly clear is this is not the norm. And I don't mean this is not the norm because it doesn't happen. What I mean by norm is that this is not how God's family is to operate. When things like this happen, when abuse happens, when cover-up, when scandal happens, when, when we hurt each other, when we bite and devour, we are acting outside of the norms and values of God's family. It's not how it should be. It's not how it is institutionally. We have distorted, we have gone back, we have reverted to our sinful ways. In some cases, maybe we have shown um, which family we are actually a part of. But this is not, this is not the norms of God's family. God has told us how his people and how his family should, should act. So how should we act as family? We are to be united as a family in the worship of and service to our Father. The book of Ephesians has a lot to say about unity and what our unity is rooted in. And Paul roots our unity in our common salvation and being a part of the family of God. This is Ephesians 2, 11 through 9. Sorry, 11 through 19. That makes more sense. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, 
we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And I read that long passage, and, and over the next little bit, we'll, we'll explore lots of scriptures. And I read the whole passage because I want you to hear from God. And I want you to hear from his voice. Paul says we are to remember that once we weren't a part of God's family. But then he saved us, and he adopted us. And we are members of the household of God. That is where our unity comes from. That's where our love for each other comes from. It's not rooted in just feel good, I like you, you're like me, we have similar interests outside of church. It is rooted in the blood of Jesus and being a part of his family. One of the things that I love uh, so much about cross-cultural mission trips, and particularly ones where, where we've gone and we've gone with other local churches, is that we get to see and experience the family of God, where I've gone to places where I don't understand the language and I've really barely met and and know the people, yet they are my brothers and sisters and we worship and we have deeper unity with someone that we have not met and we may not understand than someone who lives here with us and looks like us and has all the same interests that we have and doesn't know Jesus. Our unity is found in being a part of the family of God. So how else are we like family? What other family values and norms does God give us? In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The family of God, because of Jesus, because we look to our brother, because we look to God who has regarded us as more important, who has said, I will give my life so that they can live. We then do the same. So we look at each other and we regard each other as more important than we are. We say, your needs matter more than my needs right now. Your preferences are important. I I value you. My preferences are not as important as you are. This is how the family of God operates. We are to be like Jesus and to treat others as more important than ourselves. But what about when there's conflict or we need to have difficult conversations? And we know that there is. Chatham has experienced that. We've all experienced that interpersonally, right? We all know that there's conflict. How how do we have that conflict? Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. This is how families should operate. Now, hear me, especially those of you that are younger, right? When it's like, when it says to encourage them as a brother or as a sister. Growing up, um, my brother and I did not do much encouragement. We did lots of fighting. Um, again, because we often treat those that we are closest to uh, the worst. They get to see us at our worst. Uh, but the tone here 
right, is not fighting. The tone here is love and encouragement. Older men as fathers. For younger men as brothers. Not as brothers who fight. Brothers who love. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. This is how we interact with each other. The last implication I want us to consider today is that we are heirs with Jesus. We will receive an inheritance so incredible that we struggle to describe it. So we'll go back to Galatians 4, 4 through 7. This wraps it up nicely. It's a really good summary. Paul says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are redeemed. We are adopted. We are sons, not slaves. And we are heirs. One day, and it's exciting to think about, one day we will act the way the family of God should act. One day we will not bite and devour each other, but we will love each other perfectly. One day the division, there will be no division amongst us because we will be so overwhelmed with the love of our Father. One day there will be no scandals. There'll be no cover-ups. There'll just be enjoyment of one another and of God. One day we will all live together with our Father. We have an imperishable inheritance that is guaranteed. So we'll end where we started with our call to worship. To hear God's words here. And rejoice. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So now I want us to come to the table as a family. If you're not a part of the family of God, don't come to the table right now. Instead, come to God. Become a part of his family. Trust in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. Submit to the Father. If you have questions about this, please talk to me or one of the other elders or talk to any other member of the family of God. We are happy to talk about our Father. If you are in God's family, come and worship. Remember how you got here, how you became a part of this family. Remember who your Father is. Look around and see your brothers and sisters worshiping as well. Sometimes one of my favorite things to do when we sing is to just close my eyes and not sing and just listen to you guys sing. 
to listen to you praise our Father. So let's come eat the family meal that reminds us of the hope of our inheritance. Jesus is coming back. We will have our inheritance and we will be with our Father forever. Let's pray. Father, I am overwhelmed by your love that you would adopt me. I'm so thankful, Lord, that your, your adoption of me is not based on me. I'm so thankful that you loved me before I could love you. Lord, I am thankful that you have brought me into your family, into this family. I'm thankful that you make me more like you. Lord, you don't leave me in my rebellion, but you adopt me and then you show me what it means to be a member of your family. You graciously teach me how to act and how to love by loving me well. Lord, I am thankful for this family here. Lord, as we come, we worship you. We will look forward to the time where, where we will worship you together with the rest of the family of God in perfect unity, without sin, without the stain of scandal, Lord, but in joy and in purity.